Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Got the Masters going on right now. We'll get to a score update in a couple minutes, a couple of uh, live betting updates from William Hill. Across the way, we got the Sportsbook over at the Silver and Gold Bar. We're at the Corona Cantina, two bars in the joint, uh, you know, newly refurbished. I know a lot of people haven't been out to see all the new things around Las Vegas, but Silver 7's is top-notch. Corner of Flamingo and Paradise. Let's do our headlines at 3. It's time for the three, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. A couple of things to follow up on from hour one. Uh, number one, after I said it, like immediately I was like, I think I'm wrong. There was the Komodo Dragon discussion. Xavier Pope saw the same video that I know you guys saw because uh, we were going to get to it yesterday. We never got to it. Weird video of this giant lizard climbing up a wall, then just chilling on top, and you just hear people kind of laughing, and no one was horrified. Um, maybe the folks in that region are used to it. You would be horrified. You are afraid of big dogs. Terrified. And I'll, I'll go one step further. Um, I've been... I don't know how how many people you've ever tried to plan like a group trip with. It's brutal. Uh, but we've been going back and forth, like a group of ten of us, on like where to stay uh, for like you know what hotel do we go to. And somebody actually sent a video of like, look how nice the grounds are here. There's birds where is and this? lizards in Cancun. Oh, uh, lizards in Mexico. And they're like, oh, look at the lizards, and it's like a selling point. And I was like, no, that's eliminated. How big a lizard freaks you out? any really like a tiny one a chameleon like a little one that'll climb up the wall might be in your room oh my god <laughs> i'd have problem? to i'd have to switch rooms they're tiny they're harmless uh, I, what, are they gonna bite no. you and poison you i'll ask to stay on the highest floor possible i had no Hopefully idea. don't climb that high so it's but it's not a small dog thing big dogs you're afraid of so any lizard any size any size okay well, they're unpredictable yeah i gaffed in the convo with uh xavier because i was assuming that that particular lizard thing was only a vegan, but uh, no. I looked it up. I was like, oh, my God. What, will eat people? Um, I mean, it's not a good situation if you want to tussle with one. Like, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to defend itself. I mean, what do you do? What do you have to do? What do you do if the, this lizard thing that's climbing around a grocery store goes after a kid? I mean, I don't. I feel like they won't, even though I, listen, I would, I would freak out. I'm, I'm acting like it's not a big deal right now. If I saw it, I would freak out. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I saw one in Costa Rica that looked like a cat. Not looked like, but it was the size of a cat. Like, that would have terrified. I mean, it did terrify me, but I'm saying if it was in a store, like, I would absolutely grab kids and, like, put them on high shelves and, like, get away from this thing. I also don't believe that was actually a Komodo dragon. Like the, that, that species is actually really dangerous. Komodo dragons are? Yeah. Like what do they do? Let's see. Diet. They are carnivores, if I can say it. Carnivores. Uh-oh. But a carnivore doesn't mean that they would eat a person. Komodo dragons eat by tearing large chunks of flesh oh, and okay. swallowing them whole while holding the carcass down with their forelegs. Okay, that sounds. That's the most <laughs> violent description I've ever heard. Hey, lady, your kid better run. Because I can't help. Yeah, get away. Wide range, wide ranging diet. Um, 
It also includes cannibalism because they'll take out small Komodo dragons. They don't care. So your question about will they go after us? Yes. Birds, bird eggs, small mammals, monkeys, wild boar, goats, deer, horses, water buffalo. Uh, There's no way that was actually a Komodo dragon that was climbing around. Komodo dragons terrorize Indonesian villages uh, with shark-like teeth and poisonous venom that could kill a person within hours of a bite. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm out. I'm not messing around with those things. I'm not going to go anywhere near them for sure. Um, How long does a bite take to kill? Three to four hours? It's not bad. You got time? Um, Yeah, I'm out. I, I yes, this is awful. It has shark like teeth. Stop. <sighs> this was Thailand. It was a seven eleven. Oh boy. I mean don't you just go don't you raid? I don't know what they have in seven elevens in Thailand though. Because everyone like Hawaii has really good food cases. You know, they have that their their food, like I've seen some of the Hawaii I've TikTok of course. a uh, tour of a seven eleven and what they've got in Hawaii. Okay. And it, like the food looks delicious. Like if it's our food, don't you just start throwing that that those pizzas Here's some taquitos. I think you try to mini tacos. What else is? I mean, you don't you just just ravage the hot dog roller and just start chucking it at the the lizard. I try to drown it in Slurpee. (laughs) (laughs) Just turn the machine on. Try to attract it over there and just drown it. We're gonna see what kind of work. We're gonna see what kind of appetite this thing really has. Yeah, let's go. Human beings can take a Slurpee and process it. I will say I have mentioned it. I'm a big 7-Eleven fan. There's one in town that is the worst 7-Eleven in the world. I feel like the Komodo dragon would be a, a, an improvement there. It was not a Komodo dragon. Okay, I'm just saying it. It just says giant lizard repeatedly. Yeah, it says uh, these things can be up to eight feet long. Second, oh, oh. second largest lizard after the Komodo dragon. Thank God it's not a Komodo dragon. I'm out. Eight feet long. Yeah. Yeah, those, some of those things are just horrifying. Horrifying. And lizards in general. Yeah, I, 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 I used to... Uh, spend like some summers and some like we used to go for spring training down to my grandparents' house in uh, in Florida. Um, you know your your homeland uh, of Florida. Sure, but there was always weird creatures around, just weird lizards and not so much snakes, but a lot of lizards, and they always terrified me, even if they were tiny. So the big ones, nah, forget it. Why are they even a thing? Why does North Carolina have a ram mascot? Since we're on the subject of animals, I don't. Tar Heels, and they've got—is it Ramses? I've seen it. Is the ram mascot for the North Carolina Tar Heels? I've never gotten that. I don't either. Is Hubert Davis going to change that? I would. I'd be careful. I'm not sure everyone was fired up to have Hubert Davis as the head coach. Doesn't seem like it. Well, nobody's ever in complete agreement. No. Uh, you thought Jerry Stackhouse should be the guy. Uh, no, I actually didn't. But it, I do find it interesting that after he doesn't get the job and really doesn't seem to get considered, it seemed like Hubert Davis had the job to begin with, um, that Jerry Stackhouse just starts landing some ridiculous classes, including uh, a pair of very highly touted recruits from Texas who were kind of a package deal that committed to Vanderbilt yesterday. He's a he, uh, yeah, I was going to say he's a Vandy. Yeah. 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 And and he you know he got, he got these two kids and looks like he's doing a very good job recruiting. Um I don't know how successful he'll be long term necessarily, but he's bringing in some players. He should be. Vandy's got a pretty good basketball history. It's in spots. 
Not like a consistent one. I'd go there. It's a good school and a great town. Yep. There's a lot of advantages for sure. There's, there's, it they, is much different educationally than the rest of the SEC. Uh, yeah, they don't really belong in that conference uh, from that standpoint. But yeah, I mean that's a uh, that's a chance to go to a really good school. And there's not there's not many places where you can find a really good school in a really cool town. Usually, maybe they might be outside of a city or uh, you know in a, in a weird town. Uh, but in that case, it's just a really cool city that happens to have a prestigious university there. Uh, everyone's got a different approach when it comes to the transfer portal. Uh, UNLV went in and quickly grabbed three commitments, didn't mess around, got three guys who potentially can be building blocks. One is a, a one-year player, but you get the feeling that, hey, uh, the same needs that Alsaberger talked about on the roster, now the whole roster disappeared. But some of the building blocks they needed, they needed more size and more athleticism on the front line. Hopefully, Mbake Jong takes advantage of super senior status, and he'll come back. So they land a kid from Texas, a kid from Oklahoma. Texas kids got one year. Oklahoma kids got three years. They get another point guard in Jordan McCabe. All from the Big 12. All from the Big 12. Meanwhile, you've got programs that are going out and quickly grabbing the best players from other programs. Now, I believe that UNLV will get a couple of impact players who are double-digit scorers from elsewhere, but we're seeing more and more of those types of players go into the transfer portal. So there's plenty there. you got to pick the right ones. you got to match it to your style. Uh, Syracuse has gone in, balls to the wall. They've landed some impact dudes. Maryland has done so. Indiana just got a guy from Pittsburgh who's going to be you know, really good right away for them. Bobby Hurley was not messing around. He lost a couple of guys to... The NBA, a couple of freshmen, yeah. and he went right into the portal. He's like, all right, let's go. we got to start rebuilding this team. And he's got some pressure. They were 11-14 and 14 last year, and they got off to a good start. They were terrible down the stretch, and there are high expectations for Hurley. Uh, today they landed a kid from Toledo, averaged 18 points a game. They got earlier uh, Jay Heath from B.C., A.J. Brahma from Robert Morris. Those three guys combined uh, averaged 53 points a game last year. Pretty good. 53 points a game. And they also have an opportunity. You talked about having some pressure uh, based on, you know, where they have been and, and they've kind of fallen off the map a little bit. They've had some really good seasons that have fallen short late uh, in the year. Last year they just weren't very good. But now they have look across the state and they see a potential rebuilding situation at Arizona. This is a chance for Arizona State to really strike uh, when Arizona could be down. Arizona's supposed to be here, too. They're in that tournament with uh, Michigan, UNLV, Wichita State. So we'll see what, what Arizona's going to have. Who's going to be running the program? I mean, I I think the lead or one of the leading candidates has to be Damon Stoudemire, even though I don't like I don't think he's done a great job necessarily uh, at Pacific. But he's put in some time and certainly is a quote-unquote part of the family. So is Luke Walton, but he almost immediately said last night, no thanks. I don't know NBA coach, would. I love it here. Sacramento. Yeah. Um, Miles Simon's on the Lakers staff. Would you leave the NBA to take over a hobbled Arizona program? I think it'll come back quickly. Yeah, so do I. Um, I don't know if I would. I don't know if I'd do that. It, it, it depends, I guess, how much I want to go back to the city. Like, I would have much rather live in L.A. than, than Tucson. Uh, but if he you know, has family there or has ties there or wants to go back there or if uh, there's reasons that he wants to be there. It would make some sense, but I, I think I'd rather be uh, in the NBA right now. Josh Passner. 
Arizona guy. Definitely one of the top candidates. Although, like, Arizona doesn't seem to care about all the cheating that they've done. Like, nobody cared when they were cheating. It's just that when they lose, that's when that's when it's that's when well, they really fact. didn't lose this last year. They weren't good. They were right on the edge of making the tournament. Yeah, that, that's that's they, losing for them. Well, they they all. I mean, come on. You, you don't think they lost a little motivation by imposing a ban on the tournament? Yeah, possibly. But they, I mean, this this is a team that's used to being, you know, top five, six seed. Well, I, in bad Adam, years, Adam. My guess is that for at least a year. That Miller was like, all right, what we've been doing, we got to dial it down a little bit in terms of recruiting. Right, that's what I'm saying. The, like the the cheating okay, was so a factor. They, was so now loser. they actually had a good young team that was developmental that was going to make the tournament next year. I have no idea what's going to be on the team next year. Yeah, because everyone could leave, especially if they're expecting more penalties from the from the NCAA. Yeah. So, but I guess what I'm getting at is like I, I would say you probably wouldn't want any ties to this, you know, the program of the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, but I don't think they care. Uh, Passner, yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, just came across two minutes ago. Uh, four-star guard KJ Simpson has decommitted from Arizona. There you go. So, Exodus begins. I mean, I don't blame him. It's an unknown. You don't even know who the coach is. You went there to you know to to play for Sean Miller. I'm sure no other He's schools out. called him this morning or yesterday and said, "Hey, oh. by the way, coach is leaving." I'm sure they've been talking to him the entire time. <laughs> of course, I'm sure they were talking to him weeks ago. Uh, hey, if this happens, we'll be there on the phone the second you need us. But he's he's committed. You can't do that. <laughs> that was good. You're gonna, he, didn't even, he didn't even hesitate to, to set it up. On the way back, we got to get some NBA. How about the uh, Nets last night? No James Harden, but KD comes back, and eh, they put 139 on the board. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Women are doing their thing, and they're certainly doing more than their share. They're showing out. Fellas, where are we? It's the men who have to step up. Men like Draymond Green. Men like myself, men all over the place. Instead of criticizing women's sports, what if all of us had taken the opportunity to embrace them? Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. The man, the myth, the legend, Stephen A. Smith. Wait, did I miss something? Draymond Green stepped up on behalf of women? Because that's not the way Megan Rapino took it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really take it that way either. Uh, I read through this like four or five times, and as is the case many times with Draymond Green, I don't know what he's talking about, and then I have to read it, like I said, four or five times, and I'm like, okay, I think I got what he was saying. Well, the, the message was just kind of convoluted. Like, there's a strong statement coming out that seems to be obnoxious and negative, and then as he explains it, you're like, okay, I think he's actually on her side, but it's oddly phrased. Well, typically doctors speak at a level that are hard oh, okay. for the lay person to understand. Yes. Kinesiology major. Yeah. Dr. Dre out of yeah. Michigan State. Yes. They, they don't really speak to the lay person. They speak to a language all their own. Yeah. Megan Rapino says, it's really unfortunate in the position that Green is in, having all of the resources that he has and the ability to have a much more educated opinion that he just hasn't basically educated himself on this. And then he says to drag all the other people into it by tagging them and speaking 
at a time when the, the tournament's going on and all that we saw with the lack of resources and funding, that's frustrating. She says, you obviously showed your whole ass in not even understanding what we all talk about all the time, uh, WNBA players and us on the uh, national team. You don't think we asked for more money? I mean, what are we screaming about nonstop? Now, you want to know what Draymond Green said? Yes. <laughs> I think that's what he was saying, but he wasn't exactly clear on the whole deal. He was talking about female athletes and, and the fight for equal pay. And Draymond Green said, as long as y'all make the argument about pay while the revenue stays the same, they will continue to point at the revenue not being high enough to cover bigger salaries. While that is true in damn near every business, how do we take that card out of their pockets? Do you understand where he's going? Not really. That's the key to changing pay. There's no argument for lack of revenue unless you make those that say they stand for women actually stand up. So basically, it's it's you're you're yelling at people to get more pay. Their argument is, hey, the revenue's not there. And then what Draymond I think is getting at is that those people who are saying, hey, the revenue's not there, they need to do more for the sport in terms of building the revenue. Okay. <laughs> you ready? Draymond Green, the NBA wasn't always a global game that it is today. It wasn't always driving as much revenue as it does today. But there were people behind it, building the platform, and more importantly, telling individual stories and building up the interest in the players. That's how the game took off. Who's building up y'all platform? Who's telling the individual stories of how great y'all are? Building the interest and transforming women's basketball into a global game. I mean... Is that on the league? Is it on the NBA? Is this another one of those things where he's ranting and he's just dealing with how the media covers women's basketball? Just like I think he was saying a few months ago about how, uh, you know, James Harden and Andre Drummond were, you know, being mistreated. Yeah, and the, media, and the media wasn't telling the story. I mean, you, I, see, you I, see what happens here? Like, I think he's on their side, but the way Rapino took it was, dude, you're in a position, generally, as an African-American, you're in a position of weakness. We could be called the oppressed. We're in this together. What you threw out there, and she's kind of right on this, that most people are just going to grab, stop complaining about your pay. Right, and, and that's the clip that I saw, and that's, that's what I kind of thought he said. Uh, but even when you listen to the bigger, to the bigger one, it's, it's a, there is a communication issue of, like, what exactly are you talking about? Yeah. Like, nobody understands what you mean here. This is like a Cofield and Company show. We have this happen every month sure. or so where we start yelling and arguing, and it's usually me arguing with you, and you're like, we're on the same side. Yeah. Like, we're not we're not understanding each other. Now, this is – now, Draymond and Megan Rapino getting together in a room and having a conversation I think would be a good thing. Don't bring Brandon Marshall in. <laughs> no. All right, for the not. audience, to, remind, to if anyone didn't hear it, can you, can you find the cut – of Brandon Marshall talking about NBA salaries and claiming that the NFL is no different than the NBA because the NBA salaries are not guaranteed. And there's a bunch of NFL players sitting there, and they're like, dude, you're wrong. The NBA players, 95% of them have guaranteed contracts that go on forever. You're just wrong. And it was like Brandon Marshall just stands up and starts, you know, at 6'3 and like 250 now. He's gigantic. Yeah. Just starts screaming and yelling at everybody. That's the kind of discourse and discussion 
that we probably don't need to have. Y'all talking about because y'all talking about the NBA got everybody got guaranteed contracts and it's false. They do. Searching this. And I'm telling you, it's the they truth. Do. No, they don't. Not everybody that's on the NBA roster like who? have a guaranteed contract. There's two-way it's contracts. Not. There's, there's two-way contracts. No, it's not. And then there's no, the no, top dog. There's the top dog. No, it's not. There's four guys on the NBA team that got guaranteed contracts, and everybody else can be cut today and don't got nothing. And don't have man dime. Look it up. Look it up. Look it up. It's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. So who has a better structure, the NBA or NFL? Everything y'all saying is what I'm saying. It's now Wait, you what? finally got the Russell Wilsons of the world finally saying something. Okay, all right. It's <laughs> just wrong. Yeah. Jared Dudley, who is like the prime example of guy number 11 on a team who's got a guaranteed contract, if it's a long-term contract, he, he chimed in on Twitter. He's like, dude. He's like, there's a couple guys on the team who may have contracts that are not guaranteed. They're short-term contracts. But 95% of us have guaranteed contracts. So so Brandon Marshall and what he just did, let's not have that with Draymond Green. He's so Green. passionate well, how, about how, how, would it. Would it be amazing if Draymond Green was sitting there and Megan Rapinoe was just like, you showed your whole ass, and just screaming at him like, okay. Are we getting anywhere with this? Uh, yeah. That, I mean, you're, you, that's, that is a problem. When you, like when there is a, a disagreement or a, a lack of understanding of facts, then it becomes difficult to have a conversation or an argument of some sort. Like, he's just wrong about that. Like, and, and he's so into it and so passionate about it, like, you're not going to change his mind, but he's just wrong. So the dangers of Draymond Green, and this happens all the time with Dr. Dre, is that he has an opinion on everything. He's a know-it-all. And he'll come out with a bombastic statement at the beginning, and then the rest of the message gets lost. I, I get, Stephen A. clearly read the whole message, and, and the way he took it was, oh, they're on the same side. Rapino, I, did Rapino not see the whole message? Because he's, she's calling out Draymond like, dude, you're killing us. Well, I think I, I think probably the same thing. She might have seen a short clip, or she, she may have just not heard the whole thing, or just not understood it. Is that our fault in the media because that's what we grab, or is it your fault, the end destination for not reading the whole thing? No, it's usually it's usually the fault of the people that didn't read the whole thing. I I didn't read it because I I don't really care. About what you know about what Draymond says about this, like, but you, but you know, you do care about Megan Rapinoe, of course. I know, you know, she's an idol of yours. If you have any idols, you really like her. I mean, you had her as your avatar forever on Twitter. I did. That's true. You love her so, just because I like soccer. Yeah, had nothing to do with politics or anything. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I care about the issue. I don't care about really what Draymond says about it. So I saw what he said. I was like, okay, Draymond just being stupid again, and, and whatever, moved on. Like I wasn't going to attack him. Uh, but I also wasn't going to, um, you know, spend too much time on trying to look up exactly what he said. But at the same time, like, this is a complicated issue. There is an issue about, like, you know, there is a huge disparity in how much money is brought in from, the, from those teams. And players should get their share of what they bring in. And that should be how it goes. Now, when he's talking about, you know, maybe expanding the revenue pool and all those other things, that's fine. I think we have tried in a lot of ways to tap that market and it just hasn't really worked out so i mean that is something that needs to be addressed finding ways to bring in more revenue certainly has to be a part of it like draymond was saying i just don't know exactly what he was saying golden knights games and 77 cent bud light bottles silver sevens hotel and casino has you hooked up 
hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s. It's Cofield and Company. Let's get the latest uh, draft updates on the big stories this week and also cover a, another position, uh, running back today. We're going to talk running backs today. Pro Football Focus has all the information. Austin Gale is our guy on Thursdays breaking down the draft. Austin, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. How are yourself? Good. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, the wagering options around the country, and I've seen that Mac Jones has now been adjusted from where he was down initially at 15 and a half, like 17 and a half. Now he's at over under the three and a half pick in the National Football League draft. I, I feel like this is an overcorrection. Do you believe he is a guarantee to go number three to the Niners? I don't think he's a guarantee. I mean, he's minus 200 for a reason. By comparison, Trevor Lawrence minus 6,000. You know, I, I don't think he's anything. I don't think he's a guarantee, but I do think that the sources, from what I've heard, Dale Jeremiah of NFL Network, obviously a longtime NFL scout. You have Dane Brugler, who is well-connected to the league, a, a draft analyst for The Athletic, and Adam Schefter of ESPN, all saying everyone is pointing, all signs point, to San Francisco 49ers locking into Mac Jones of Alabama at quarterback at the number three overall pick. I do think that that's where they're leaning right now. Unless a drastic change happens, I think they're going to pull the trigger on Mac Jones. Obviously, you have Justin Fields' pro day on April 14th, the second pro day where he's going to throw again with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in attendance. It'll be interesting to see if that shifts their opinion that much. But I do think if I had to bet right now, if I was going to bet equal odds between Fields, Lance, and Jones, based off what I'm hearing, I think it's going to be Mac Jones at three. You brought up the pro day, and I'm, I'm glad you did because I think it's relevant because I feel like so much of this narrative came from the fact that Shanahan and Lynch decided to go to Alabama's pro day instead of Ohio State's, but they were they were promised that Ohio State would have another one for Fields. So I think that maybe was an overreaction. No, I, I think that's the the wrong reasons to think Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are locking into Mac Jones. The right reasons are, in my opinion, Kyle Shanahan's connection to and relationship with Chris Sims. I think they have matching tattoos on their ankles, <laughs> and Chris Sims' evaluation of the quarterback position this year's draft. He sees. Mac Jones as the number three quarterback in this class. Behind Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. Kyle Shanahan and Chris Sims see the game very similarly. And I think in addition to that, the other thing, other reason to kind of buy into this Mac Jones hype is that Kyle Shanahan obviously, quite obviously, has a type at quarterback position. It's a guy that can deliver the football accurately as an anticipatory thrower. Jimmy Garoppolo, he's thought to be that, hasn't been due to health concerns and also just kind of a fall off in accuracy, but Matt Ryan was that. Kirk Cousins was that, guys that he's worked with in the past, guys that he's liked in the past. C.J. Bethard, Nick Mullins, like these are guys that are not athletic, not mobile, just get the ball out on time and can run his offense. And I think the way I phrase it to people, if Kyle Shanahan does pull the trigger on Mac Jones over whatever, what a lot of people would say objectively better athletes, better arm talent at the position, and Justin Fields and, Zach, uh, and uh, Trey Lance, what he's saying is, let me make the mistakes. I'm going to put a quarterback in position to win with my offense. He's going to deliver the football accurately and, and, and anticipate throw receivers coming open and get the football to them. And when they catch it, they're going to be good after the catch. I'm going to scheme them open. I'm going to call the plays. I'm going to make the decisions. I'm going to make the mistakes, not my players. I think that's an interesting position to put himself in, but you can win that way. They don't do a Super Bowl that way with Jimmy G. Jimmy G is largely a puppet, and Kyle Shanahan is a puppeteer in that offense. They don't ask him to do a lot. They don't ask receivers to even get open they scheme them open and run the football with after the catch i really do think that kyle shanahan is buying into i'm going to make mistakes i'm going to call all the plays and i'm going to make sure the quarterback i have delivers the football accurately i don't care about the off platform out of structure stuff 
we uh, we love when you know stories come out and reports come out of this team wants this guy, this team loves this guy. Most of it is smoke screens. It's all uh, kind of silly and fun to monitor going up to the draft. We did see this story that Jerry Jones is, quote, infatuated with Kyle Pitts. A couple of things here. First of all, uh, I just love the fact that Jerry Jones is going to demand that they take another tight end. The bigger thing is he's not going to be available for them at that point, right? I don't think he's going to be available to them. I'm also infatuated with Kyle Pitts if I'm drafting at 10 or 12 or 20 or whatever. <laughs> Kyle Pitts is coming off the board probably by pick 6, pick 7. I don't imagine, I think pick 8 at the lowest. Like if Carolina, especially after trading you know, three picks, including a second rounder, and committing the fifth-year option to Sam Darnold, I do think that at that point you're out of the quarterback race and you're going to take the best player available. Kyle Pitts at 8 would be exactly that. So I don't think... The Dallas Cowboys are really going to be in a position to take Kyle Pitts, and I don't think they're going to mortgage future draft capital to move up for a non, non-quarterback. You know, trading into the top ten for a non-quarterback really pans out. Julio Jones, I'm telling you right now, isn't in every class. Is Kyle Pitts close to that? Maybe. But I don't think Dallas pulls the trigger on that ultimately. Isn't that good for Dallas uh, that, they, that they won't do that because th- then they end up with probably Patrick Sertan instead, which is much more of a need? Yeah, I mean, I don't think – I would take Kyle Pitts over Patrick Sertan at 10. I don't think it's good for Dallas Cowboys fans necessarily. I do think that you take the best players available, and you saw that with C.D. Lamb last year. Did they have a need at wide receiver? No, but they wanted the best player, and they got him. C.D. Lamb was the best player available to them, and he was awesome as a rookie with Michael Gallup and with Mark Cooper. I think Pitts is the same way, man. Go get Pitts at 10. If Pitts is available to at 10, I'll do it. One of my first mock drafts I wrote for this year for PFF.com had Kyle Pitts falling to 10 and then Dallas Cowboys snatch, you know, snatched him up. But since the pro day and what you're hearing from media, it doesn't sound like he's going to be available for that. I think he could go as high as five to the Cincinnati Bengals or four to the Atlanta Falcons, depending on how they view the quarterback class and the trade-down market. Check out all of this great information about Pro Football Focus. So much, so much information up there. I feel like I spend most of my days uh, on the site right now leading up uh, to the draft, so go check that out. Uh, running backs we wanted to talk about, and it seemed like at the beginning of this process – this was kind of a two-man race uh, with Najee Harris and Travis Etienne to be the first running back selected. But there is they have company, and they might not even be the first two because somebody else might go first here. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I think Devontae Williams, UNC running back, only 20 years old, a valedictorian in high school, 4.6 GPA, played linebacker mostly in high school and was recruited by Alabama to play linebacker but ultimately didn't offer him because he wasn't tall enough. So he ended up playing, you know, going to North Carolina, almost pursued – academic scholarships, threw football away, and knew that he could bet on his brain and be something else. But goes to North Carolina to play running back, doesn't really have an opportunity to play and get touches there until this past season at 20 years old and completely lights it up. Over the past five years, no running back in the country has forced more missed tackles per touch than Javante Williams. I think he's a guy that could be the first running back off the board. But right now, in my opinion, I think the favorite should be Travis Etienne of Clemson or Najee Harris of Alabama. Should any of these guys go in the first round? No, but one of these guys I think will ultimately be the first running back off the board. Is Miami the most likely team to take somebody in the first round? Miami is a name that I think gets thrown around a lot. If they took him at 18, though, I really do think it would be an egregious use of resources. I just don't think you can spend top 20 picks, top 32 picks on running backs in this league anymore. As we see time and time again, the replaceability of the position and dependence the production dependence on offensive line and opposing box count for the position, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. It's also not a position that makes a ton of money on second contract. And I think that's something that's super important. Throw positional value on the football field out the window. Pretend that running backs matter just as much as QBs. That's fine. Look at how they're paid. Quarterbacks, tackles, pass rushers, 
pass rushers, pass rushers. That's who gets paid in the NFL, wide receivers. Go get guys on rookie, cost-controlled contracts at those positions that make a ton of money. You can get the best running back on the market of any free agency for less than you could get like the 20th best edge defender. That's how the team cur- or how the league currently values the position. So don't go spend a rookie contract that will be the same regardless of position you take on a low-value position like running back. Go get a tackle, a pass rusher, receiver, corner, all of those things. So uh, Najee Harris, we we talked about. Where do you see him, and and how do you evaluate him? Because I know he's not happy with how some other uh, draft analysts evaluate his game. I mean, he's a really good hands catcher, really some of the best hands, some of the best, like, I think he approaches the ball in the air very well. I don't think he's as good of a route runner necessarily as a Travis Etienne or maybe some of the other running backs in the class, but he catches everything. And I think teams are going to have, if they're going to draft Najee Harris as high as he's probably going to go, which is probably at least in the top 40, top 50 pick, you're going to need to find a way to feed him the football. He needs touches, man. If you're going to invest that level of capital into a running back, he needs to be able to work you know, routes from the backfield, from the slot, get, you know, get catches like what Saquon Barkley could do for the New York Giants. I think he's capable of that, just like Josh Jacobs is capable of that. He was one of the better pass-pitching running backs we've really seen over the past few years with what he did at Alabama. Just the Las Vegas Raiders, for whatever reason, have not been able to get him targets. And some of that's injuries, some of that's offensive scheme, whatever. But I do think Najee Harris, another really talented Alabama back, one of the best running backs in this class. I do think that Maybe there are some concerns with like his home run speed. Is he as fast or as explosive as ETN? No, but I don't think you need to be that in today's NFL to be successful. I, I want speed at the position. We don't need speed at the position. I, feel, I still think he does a lot of other things well. Austin Gales with us. We're talking running backs, NFL Draft 2021. By the way, this is the site of our viewing party down here at Silver Sevens on uh, the 29th of this month. I'll ask both of you guys start with Austin. Um, is there a guy you like who is slated to go a little bit later? Who's the you know the Antonio Gibson? Who is the uh, Robinson in in Jacksonville? A guy who's further down the list where you're like, man, this could be some really good value. This could be the guy who comes in the league and goes you know thirteen hundred year uh, thirteen hundred yards combined. Yeah, I mean, I do think that names that come to mind for me: Trey Sermon, Ohio State; Khalil Herbert, Virginia Tech; um, Puka Williams of Kansas. If he can get his off field kind of corrected and approved and moved on from, et cetera. Those are, there's Chuba Hubbard, Oklahoma State. But here we are. It's the same class every single year. There's always a ton of talented running backs on day two and day three that you could get and come in and be productive starters. That's just the nature of the position. There are a lot of good running backs. You compare it to two, so two of the lower-valued positions in the NFL right now, running back and tight end, purely looking at salary. Those are two of the lowest-paid positions in the NFL. One is low-paid because there aren't a lot of good ones. There's probably only three legit game-changing tight ends in the NFL. Darren Waller, George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey. Everyone else is, meh, not really changing the game for you. Running back is kind of the opposite. There's too many good ones. You can sign Mike Davis off the street, and he could be as productive as Christian McCaffrey. That's the, that's the problem is at the running back position. So for that reason, again, it comes back to this, how you're going to allocate your resources in the draft. Go get a day-two, day-three flyer. Go find the next James Robinson, because I think you're going to find one if you look hard enough. I'm a uh, Kenneth Gainwell guy. I've liked what I've seen. I like K- Kenneth Gainwell. I like Kenneth Gainwell. I think the problem I have with him is contact balance. You know, he's not a guy that you know survives tackle attempts as well as some of these other guys. And something that translates well from college to NFL is your ability to force missed tackles and gain yards after contact. You, I do like what he's done. I think the Memphis pedigree is interesting. Obviously, Tony Pollard. Daryl Henderson, Antonio Gibson, Memphis has turned out some talent. I think Kenny Gainwell's in that tier, but I like other backs over Gainwell than most do. Uh, real quick, I, we have 
one question left, and I was gonna I was gonna switch gears a little bit because I was reading a lot and watching a lot on this guy last night. Uh, Deontay Brown from Alabama, the biggest player in the draft pool. He was like 364 at the Senior Bowl. He's actually down to like 348 now, uh, according to him. Uh, and, and it looks like he's getting in a little bit better shape because there was a lot of questions to him about his weight and about his ability to kind of maintain that over a career. Uh, he's a guy that did not allow a sack in his time at Alabama. Uh, I think he's a guy, because the Raiders love picking Alabama and Clemson guys, uh, the Raiders may be looking at him uh, somewhere, you know, maybe third round if he could go there. Uh, what do you think about him and, and maybe cutting down his size a little bit going into the NFL? He's an interesting player. I mean, I think he is going to have to cut some weight. I do think that specifically in pass protection, I know he didn't allow a sack at Alabama, but he's also playing alongside some really talented offensive linemen there in Bama. They also get the ball out quick. they got receivers that get open early. But I, I think it's I wanted him to show up at the Senior Bowl. Nickname what? Cornbread, Deontay Cornbread Brown. I wanted him to show up in the Senior Bowl in one-on-ones. But honestly, you saw time and time again at the Senior Bowl him get beat in one-on-one situations, situations he did not see a lot of at Alabama. Do I like him as a you know round three, round four type of player, a guy that you can invest in and try and develop in the NFL? Absolutely. But I'm probably not going to take him in the first two rounds. There you go. Great stuff, as always. Uh, what can people find up on the site right now? Yeah, go to PFF.com. We're consistently looking at this NFL draft, mock draft, the quarterback discussion, the wide receiver discussion. You know, The offensive tackle class is one I think is going to get underrated. There are so many good offensive tackles, starting caliber offensive tackles in this class. So definitely check that out on PFF.com. Austin, thank you. We'll see you. Absolutely. Thank you. Again, you heard it. PFF.com. It's pro football focused. Austin Gale is with us. Coming up next, we get to the uh, Weed Cellars uh, Greeny Wine of the Week as he talks a little bit of baseball, and I had no idea what the heck was going on. I'll just say uh, some early season observations seem to be based on uh, a very small sample size. With 77 cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. It's time for Greenies Wine of the Week, presented by Weed Cellars. Hit WeedCellars.com. I feel like we missed out on what the uh, Vest Sound Crew was doing here with uh, Rejoiner on the Wine of the Week with Greeny. I feel like they were going for, like, whiny musician. I think that's Morrissey. Hmm. I don't know much of Morrissey's catalog. A little, little bit whiny. Okay. A little bit. Well, there's a lot of, like, you know, a lot of 90s R&B that I very much like that's very whiny. For the uh, best in wine, bourbon, and beer, go up to WeedCellars.com. No cannabis, no CBD. It's C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com. WeedCellars.com. So we like to listen in. Uh, Ari just sits there every day for a couple of hours and listens to Mike Greenberg, and then he pulls something, and we get Greeny's wine. Greeny can be a little whiny. Uh, his wine of the week. Uh, he and one of his producers were talking about uh, early baseball numbers. Oh, boy. It's uh, it's like six days into the season. Um the thought is that they have changed the baseball again, that home runs were out of control the last couple of years, and we're already seeing results in shorter average length of home run. Fire this. If you watched as much baseball as I have this season, you probably noticed a bunch of balls hit that you think are going to go over the fence that don't. 15 feet on average, fewer this year than in the previous four. This will, this will help fly ball pitchers who, have, who are being conditioned to give up a lot of home runs over the course of the last few years and will also hurt these sort of fringe power hitters 
who over the last few years have been able to benefit from this sort of juiced ball dynamic. So you're going to see baseball look a decent amount different this year should these numbers hold up. So you're telling me the ball has been unjuiced. Okay. Do you buy that based on just numbers early? Uh, I will give you numbers from the past. And, of course, baseball is always like, we don't change the ball. Nothing's different. 2014, there were .86 home runs and 4.07 runs per team per game. That was the lowest number since 1981. Five years later, 2019, because obviously last year's season was abbreviated, it went from .086, did I get that right, Point, yeah, 0.86 home runs to 1.39 home runs per team per game. Hmm. And runs were up almost a run. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be make any snap judgments on you know four days of games, really five days of games. I don't think, All right. especially when uh, you know you're gonna take a whole season of averages and say, well, it's down when a lot of that season was played when it was very hot. By the way, it's that's the other problem is it's April. Yeah, and generally as the summer comes. And things get more humid, the ball starts flying. Yeah, I mean, I know you know they did change the ball. They haven't been shy about that. They right. did, and they said they're you know they're testing on it. Their experimental um, you know lab work on the new ball was that it, it flew about ninety eight point seven or something percent uh, oh, as really? far as the old one, okay. which means like yeah, a home run might might take you know three four feet off of it, but. It's not. It's not dramatically going to change the game. I think by the end of the year, we'll see that the numbers are somewhat similar to they were before. They juiced the ball in the interest of having more mm-hmm. home runs hit, and that backfired because they actually managed to make the most exciting thing in the sport boring. They made the <laughs> home, they made the home run just so routine as to not even be. Sometimes I listen to announcers lose their mind yeah. when a home run is hit, and I think to myself, you know, you, that was the third one this inning. <laughs> um, and and but but what you're telling me is that we're going to see now we're going to see fewer of that because of the ball they have. Because the ball has been changed. Not because of any strategy difference, not because of any skill change, because the ball has been deadened, albeit slightly, but 15 feet. Like, how many balls just go over the fence by, by, by the span of 15 feet? A lot of home runs, a ton of home runs. I feel like Greeny's bring the bunt back rant and stolen base rant is on the way. What does he mean that bo- home runs are boring now? What are you talking about? I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell you. Like, if Mike Trout naturally could hit, you know, 84 home runs you'd be bored or the fact that teams are jacking home runs all over the place that's boring i miss baseball of my day i mean it is fun when you see a a, a pitcher try to feel the button throw to first and throw it in the right field like that's fun i enjoy that no but over time analytics have shown the bunt is stupid and stolen bases are even dumber i like stolen bases and it's, I guess, it's a fun fantasy topic, but uh, it's, it's different. It, but it really, it really is stupid by the numbers. You're, it's, a, it's a risky move, and you're potentially running yourself into or out of a, a situation where guys can freaking go yard and, and hit bombs. Sure, it depends on. It also depends on success rate. Like that would determine it because if you actually are very highly successful a high percentage of the time, then it does become a good play because you're so so rarely running yourself. Out of it, I mean, like, what, uh, is it Locastro? I don't think has ever been caught. So, like, then it's a good play. That will change strategy, right? So, it the, will now, it, it will now that we've seen the, the that's what I mean. Okay. So, what's going to happen is not their balls are not being hit less far because of a change of strategy, right? 
but the balls being hit less far are going to cause a change of strategy because when we're no longer going to get all these cheap home runs, maybe guys will stop swinging with that uppercut Correct. that A-Rod was talking about here. Every guy, every guy is swinging <laughs> at the plate like he's hitting a pitching wedge right? because he's just trying to hit the ball as high as he can, and instead we can go back to what the game was originally meant to be, Depth which to, yeah. is hitting the ball straight, as an, i.e. the line the drive. Line drive. And, and so I, do you believe that we will see a substantial change because of that? Yes, the line drive has gone, gone the way of the, the mid-range jump shot right. in the NBA. My hope is that we do. We'll also see pitchers pitch differently as a result. Okay, I like it. It yeah. hasn't. Yeah, we don't. And Adam had his head in his hands. Greeny's wine of the week. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm missing old-timey baseball where the goal is to hit line drives. And, yeah, it's launch angle. They're not going back. They're not. No, but I also see plenty of line drives. The the line drive has gone the way of the mid-range <laughs> jumper. Like, what are you talking about? But the power, the guys who can hit home runs are not, if launch angle has been working for them and they're, I mean, this, this is a whole discussion about it. Does average matter? What's more important? You know, home runs and getting runs across the plate and on base percentage. You know, like I missed the days of guys hitting, you know, 317 with zero bombs and 31 ribbies and they're getting on getting on base, and they don't walk. Give me Ozzie Smith. A lot of singles. I missed the days of 190 singles for my guy. Why? Give me Ozzie Smith over Francisco Lindor. (laughs) I think my favorite part of the the rant is, like, the the strategy is going to change now. We've got the proof. You're going to see a lot more. We're less than a week in. Or we're exactly a week in. I've seen it. Team's already panicking. They're they're going and... uh, Bunting all the time, a lot of hit and runs. Guys just throwing the ball right down the middle of the plate. It's yeah. going to be a line drive anyway. Yeah. I mean, if they if they hit a bomb, it's going to go 15 feet shorter, so there's no home runs now. There was some ridiculous stat the other day about like how, how, many, how many successful hit and runs there were Ugh. last year. It was like so low. Times change, the games change, people get smarter, things are sharp now. You're not smarter than they are. Cut it out. Uh, wine of the Week is brought to you by... Weed Sellers, WeedSellers.com, C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com. WeedSellers.com. Get up there and check out the fine selection of wine, bourbon, and beer. And you know who says it's the best? And it is our buddy Mark McMillan. So you listen to Mark and you get up to that website now, WeedSellers.com. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews.